Ever wish there was a fast way to get up to speed on a complicated topic? Well, you're in luck. This series might just be for you. As providers, it's hard to stay on top of all the specialties in a multi-specialty world. So join us for the month of October and get back in the loop about everything that's happening in cochlear implants, from the fundamentals to what's changing with candidacy, patient characteristics, and the latest in tech. And you're going to hear it from the best of the best. Hit the subscribe button and be the first to know when an episode drops for this Medod Pro Doc Talk special series podcast on cochlear implants, sponsored by Envoy Medical. We are today kind of still in the intro series part of our episodes where we're laying that foundation, kind of an appreciation of how far things have come. So Julie, why don't you share a little bit just of your expertise and all the way through your career to, you know, what that seat that you're sitting in in Atlanta right now? Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Um, so I started um, I got my graduate degree in about 1985, and I worked at the Vanderbilt Bill Wilkerson Center, and that's where I did my very first cochlear implants. At that time, um, it was still under FDA clinical trials, and you were supposed to do at least three adults. So I did two adults, even though I was a pediatric audiologist. And then I was offered a position at the House Ear Institute in Los Angeles, and that's really where I got my start with cochlear implants, because that was kind of the mecca for cochlear implants sure. at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, So I got to work with the very first child with a single channel cochlear implant and then the very first kid with a multi-channel cochlear implant at house, which was really cool. And we saw patients from all over the world. People came from everywhere to get implanted because there weren't that many centers that were available for cochlear implantation. So after that time, I went out to Atlanta where I am now and I started the cochlear implant program at what was called Eggleston Children's Hospital at the time. Mm -hmm. It's now called Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. And I started that cochlear implant program and we became one of the largest pediatric implant programs. Really lucky to work on all three FDA clinical trials for all three cochlear implant companies that are in the US at this time. And then I moved on from there to the Atlanta Speech School, which was a had a hearing impaired program and I took started a cochlear implant program there. And finally now I'm at a private practice and establishing a cochlear implant program here. And we have a new surgeon. We've already done close to 50 implants just here, but I follow about 250 implant patients. So wow. I've been around for a long time sure. <laughs> and I've seen well, everything. <laughs> and you've seen a lot. I mean, when you really, I mean, it's amazing to think that you saw the first, you know, kiddos, yeah. you know, implanted. I mean, when you're thinking about, and when was that in the, what'd you say in the eighties? Was that in the eighties? 86 was when I started. Yeah. yeah. So when you're thinking about that moment to like where we, you know, that was really kind of CI in its infancy, right? I mean, to today, like, are we grown up yet? Have we made it? Like, did you ever think we'd be where we are today? Like, I'm sure as an audiologist in the middle and, you know, that has built so many of these programs, you, you're thinking, oh my goodness, there's so much more we could be doing. I'm sure that that those things come to mind, but I feel like, boy, you must really have such a perspective in regards to the progress that has been made and, and how that, you know, what that looks like for the patient perspective, or just even for yourself as a provider, everything has changed. I mean, those, the size of the device, you know, it was close to probably close to four inches tall and two inches wide. When I started, it was huge. Then we weren't implanting kids until two years of age or older. And we actually, at first were really afraid and we're implanting kids who were eight years of age and older. And that was not really, didn't really work very well for prelingually deafened kids. 
And in the early days, the tests we did, like we were excited when a kid could discriminate for spondees. Like today, who cares? <laughs> Kids have open set word recognition, adults do as well. We had no idea that it would get this good. We had no idea that patients would do as well as they did. It's been phenomenal watching the progress and how well people do. And of course, implanting children younger and then being able to implant adults with not, not just profound hearing loss, but with moderate to profound hearing loss. So, and then single-sided deafness. So we really have advanced tremendously. And of course, back in the eighties, we couldn't ever have guessed that we'd all be carrying around a computer in our pocket as a telephone. We had, I mean, we, had, we couldn't even imagine that. So it's changed dramatically. And I, I don't think I ever knew it would be this good. Yeah. So Julie, I'm so excited to talk to you about this stuff because I, I just appreciate people who have the history. Um, I started in the cochlear implant field in 2003. And, you know, even a lot of a lot had changed already between when you started in the mid 80s to 2003. I remember talking to some of our cochlear implant audiologists that I worked with and they talked about having week-long activations. <laughs> yes. And and now, you know, we're we're doing activations in an hour and a half. It's it's just it blows my mind how much things have changed just in my time. And I can't imagine, like you just said, I never would have guessed that now we have iPhones in our pockets and can download an app and we might be able to program their cochlear implants right. using their cell phone. It's absolutely amazing. And and you know, when I look back, we we sometimes laugh, those of us who've been around for a while what were we doing for a whole week? We don't even know what we were doing. Like, what were we doing that whole week? You know, it's kind of interesting just to see implanting um, patients with more hearing. And then we, and those were our borderline candidates. And now those are candidates, you know, and, and yeah. what is borderline candidate today was someone we would never would have considered at all at any time. Yeah. And I think that that, you know, is, is, is hard for people to imagine, you know, how are people candidates now that we just consider a candidate and they were absolutely not thought of as a candidate a few years ago or even 10 years ago? Where do you think candidacy will continue to go? I mean, I think it will will continue to consider people with more more hearing, but I think a lot of it's going to be in percentage of uh, word recognition because that's been a big change as far as not wanting to implant people unless they were 40% or below is ridiculous when you think about it. like who can function on 40%. On sentences, right? Yeah, yeah. sentences and, and 60%, even 60%, like really, if you really yeah. think about it, if you're only getting 60% of what people are saying, you're missing a lot. And so I'm hoping that we'll continue to look at benefit from people who have even more word understanding, but could still really benefit from a cochlear implant. You well, know? and I and I think that that leads me into thinking, you know, putting me on the mindset right now, that's, we've had to take it slow enough so that we could learn, right? Because we, we never would want to implant somebody. That's not our goal that we think is going to do worse with a cochlear implant than they yeah. do a hearing aid. And so we kind of have to trudge along and understand 
all of the things that that matter to cochlear implant outcomes um, their duration of deafness uh, their hearing loss history if they've worn a hearing aid their expectations a lot of those things we we used to look at an audiogram and look at a speech sentence score and we knew from that whether they're a cochlear implant candidate now we know there are so many other things and i think we'll continue as we understand cochlear implants more than we even do right now who is a good candidate and i think that that'll just continue to um, expand yeah and i think we're we're I know in my clinic, we try to look at the whole person, not just the ear, you know, that it is more than just a, a score or a patent cochlear or whatever. It's really, you have to look at everything else because you can have a patient that seems like they're a good candidate, but there's their psychosocial issues or other things that could really become a problem. And there, it's a complex issue. It's mm -hmm. not just putting an implant in and programming properly. The person has to be willing to work at it, has to be willing to go to therapy, especially with children. If kids don't get yeah. a, get therapy, then the implant is really not nearly non-functional. I mean, as we implant younger and younger children, of course, we get closer and closer to that natural learning time. I mean, we we implanted a little girl at eight months of age bilaterally, yeah. and by the time she was 12 months, she was on age level. Now, of course, wow. she has to keep continuing, mm -hmm. but still, that's pretty that's pretty amazing. And we right. used to, you know, implant at 12 months and start there, and she's already at age level. So, you know, it. I always tell patients it's, it keeps getting better. It's not getting worse. It's getting better. And I'm not sure what the, what the, I always joke with my patients. So I don't really know what the future will hold. Maybe it'll drive your car. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's just, you know, the sky's the limit really. When I, if someone had told me that I'd be carrying around a computer in my pocket that would link to the cochlear implant, I would have said, yeah, right. And here we are. What do those teams look like? Yeah. With children and adults, it's a little bit different. Of course, yeah. with kids, um, we work, we work really closely with the auditory verbal therapist or speech language pathologist who's doing the therapy. And that's a really important relationship. Now we don't have someone on our team, but we work with a couple centers in Atlanta that provide that service. And I'm in constant contact with that therapist and figuring out what are the child doing, what they, whether they're hearing, what they're not hearing. So then when I program, I know what to do. And then if I do testing, I then share it with the therapist. You know, we obviously have a surgeon that works with us. We actually used to have a social worker and psychologist who worked with us because that was a requirement. Now we just do that PRN as needed. So if we do need someone to assess a child because there's other issues going on, and if a child has other issues like autism spectrum disorder or maybe cerebral palsy, we might work with the physical therapist or the, the team continues to change as we implant people with different things going on. And, and certainly um, our patients who might have some dementia or things like that, we have to be aware of that as well. So there's a few different things we have to look at. Yeah, and I'll just add in, I think that the SLP and the oral rehab from an adult perspective has become really important. All of the cochlear implant companies are wonderful at developing technology and accessories and things that you can use with your cochlear implant in different listening situations. And, and they're really important tools. But as an audiologist, when you're in my clinic, we're programming the cochlear implant, doing some diagnostic testing to make sure that you're doing well with it and you're progressing like we assume. We do some counseling with the patients. But, you know, unfortunately, as an audiologist, we're unable to bill for oral rehab. And I think that that gets lost, the importance of sending our patients, and I'm talking about adults right now, 
to oral rehab so that they learn how to continue to improve their listening skills in all the different environments that they want and are able to go into because of the cochlear implant and learning how to use the accessories effectively in all the different listening environments, I think is, is really helpful for our patients from, from that perspective. The other thing are the, are the cochlear implant companies have really tried to become more hands-on with patients that we implant with them. So they have specialists within their company that a patient can call and say, hey, I'm having trouble getting my iPhone to connect to my processor. And, you know, they can walk them through it. If they call their audiologist, it's, it may be a couple of days before we can get back to them because we're seeing patients, you know, one right after the other. And so the cochlear implant companies are much more engaging and engage more with the patients, with the parents to make sure that the patient is progressing and utilizing all the resources that they have. The other one that I think, Jolie, from an adult perspective, seems like the audiologist has been put at the forefront of screenings for cognitive change in patients with hearing loss. And there's a connection. Um, research is now demonstrating a connection between hearing loss and dementia. And so um, doing screenings and understanding what those screenings and how a hearing loss is affecting perhaps that outcome on that screening is, is something that I think audiologists are trying to learn more about. What's our role? When do we screen? And so we're talking more with psychologists and teams outside of audiology and ENT to try to understand what our place is and how we can facilitate that continuum of care if we do suspect that there's some cognitive issues going on. Yeah, I think I agree. Those are really important. And, and like you said, the consumer um, engagement people who work with our patients, that takes a lot of burden off of us and we can concentrate on doing what we do well. And then the patient can get the information they need about how to connect their iPhone or whatever from the company. And that really does allow us to, I mean, we can't bill for that. So it really allows us to do what we do best and they do, you know, they take care of our patients with connectivity and such like that. So I think that that is true. And the patients aren't waiting and becoming right. more frustrated because- right my battery isn't working, they can take care of it right away, have that battery shipped to mm -hmm. them and, and the problem solved. That, that's um, huge. Yeah. 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 I agree. That's, that's been a big change. I would say over time um, that you've probably noticed and, and d did it bother you at first, Julie, having the company so involved with your patients on that perspective? Because I know as an audiologist working with these patients. Programming is what I do best. That's my superpower. And so Beyond that, I don't really care if someone takes over that. And I think it's better patient care. Yeah. They're on the air much more quickly than they used to be. It used to take me forever. And if I had a really bad day and I couldn't catch up, I didn't get it done that day. And that wasn't fair to my patients. But yeah. now yeah. they have a whole team of people. And I tell my patients, I think some of my patients get a little like, wait, you're not going to take care of me? And I'm like, look, those people are sitting on the phone. That's their job. They're waiting for you to call they'll take care of you. So it's really a lot better for you if you call them than to call me because it'll everything will happen faster. Yeah. Yep. I agree. I think it's a great thing. Yeah. I think it is hard, you know, when you depend on somebody and somebody's so wonderful and then all of a sudden you have to use an expanded team, but today in, in real world of healthcare, like you just can't, if you only have one person 
that is the only person that, you know, you can get to, I mean, I feel like that it, it just would be harder and harder and harder today to deliver the best care for those patients long-term. A lot of the patients that you see, do they come to you for their care full-time or are they heading back out far? You know, like, are they, are they driving a hundred miles to get to you anyways? Some, like, so some of you my know. patients are come from very far. I have patients who fly to come see me. Oh yeah. I have a patient from Costa Rica that I've known since she was nine months old. She's now 26 and she won't go to anybody else but me. Yeah. <laughs> and I have a couple of patients who have gone away to school or gone away to live somewhere else and they still fly in to see me occasionally. So, and then patients who who drive from far away because you know most cochlear implant programs are in large metropolitan areas. So if a patient is in a more rural area or more of the outskirts, then they have to drive a far uh, distance, which is hard. It is, And that's why this remote programming possibility of the future is so great because that really could change for people not to have to drive four or five hours to go to a cochlear implant center to get programmed. I'm just so thankful to have had you on our show and to be sharing the perspective of, you know, where we've been to where we are today. And it's, I mean, what a journey. I, it must be so fun to come in and not have to spend a week and a half turning an, an implant on. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And it's, it's been fun to watch it change. And of course, with a lot of my patients, I've watched them literally grow up and that's been a lot of fun as well. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, thanks for spending some time with us and sharing your story. And Camille, as always, it's great to have you over there in the co-host seat. I'm um, doing Thank what you do. Yeah. Thanks, Jolie, for joining us. I always enjoy visiting with you. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I appreciate it. It was fun. Thank you for listening to this special series of Doc Talk by Medod Pro, sponsored by Envoy Medical.